Hello, I am John Clay here again on Rambox TV, that rare beast that offers nuanced commentary on race, gender, and other community concerns in 21st century Britain and abroad. Um, we are subject driven and so we'll avoid the risk of spending 15 to 20 minutes introducing the entire panel. They can introduce themselves as they go on and um, you can find out more about them when the video comes to an end. If you're watching this, well, the full length version on YouTube, click like and uh, hit subscribe to get more of the upload that I'm hoping that you enjoy. Today's question is, how has the idea of the superhero benefited fictional media? And what is the case for its negative impact on modern content? Um, we're going to do various subheadings. The first heading is the place of comics in current pop culture. Okay, well, I'll come out of the nerd closet on this one first. So um, it's a tough call because that actually is a really strange subject now. Um, more than ever, because in some respects, obviously, I think the perception is that everyone assumes that we're in the sort of second or possibly third golden age of comics now, like actual printed comics, paper ones that you hold in your hand. But actually, not so much. It, it's a very hard thing. I mean, um, I was looking at a Forbes thing from about, I don't know, um, October 2019, early today when we were talking about this. And obviously, the, um, the sense is that at that point, um, everyone was stepping away from superheroes in comic books. Nobody, everyone's kind of left it behind. They're not really feeling it. And the question was on superhero fatigue or is it the movies or is it the what? But to be honest, from a perspective of someone who actually still reads the things and who grew up with the things, I feel like with the superhero stuff, maybe it's just gotten a bit too convoluted. Um, you know, like where you have DC who have to restart their continuity once every yay many years you've now restarted it like four times in two decades or something ridiculous and then you've got Marvel who just pretend that continuity doesn't happen and just shuffle things around as and when they feel like and I think to try and attract new readers to that is impossible because even for someone like me who's like steeped in it I'm like I, I really can't be bothered to chase up on this stuff you know I, I can't I can't find it and the only stuff now the superhero stuff that I really love, the stuff I really engage with is from the slightly weirder, I say weirder, writers, people like um, Matt Fraction's run on Hawkeye, uh, which is more like a sort of art house thing and sort of Warren Ellis' stuff, which is slightly left field and um, sort of slightly weirder takes on things, which I guess is, you know, spinning back to where we've talked about the boys before and, and, and Garth Ennis and, and Alan Moore and all the weird guys who deconstruct stuff. I think the adults who come to this now who are the only ones with the disposable income who want to read weird things, interesting things. Yeah. They don't want to be up to their eyeballs in continuity going, who the heck is this guy? And what happened here? And what are they talking about? Why is Captain America wearing green now? What the heck? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that has been quite, um, it's been going for some time, but essentially the biggest argument is, is that if you've got this whole convoluted story that's been happening since uh, the, the late 30s for some of these stories, Superman, Batman, um, notably, how do you get new readers involved? Um, hmm. I know from my own standpoint that if I'm to go into a newsagent, there's less of a chance of me seeing uh, an English reprint of an American comic book as I used to do when I was a kid. It's not there. These comic books are in Forbidden Planets and specialist stores, which are seen as like, you know, 
we're, we're going there next month, you know, to, you'd say to your kids, if mm. at all, if that was the culture in your family. Um, and I don't necessarily think that's the best way to get new readers involved um, because mm. there's less of a chance of them chancing by those comic books in the grocery store or the news agents. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've got quite a bit to say. I want to hear what everyone else has to say. Has comic books in some way been negatively or positively being, re- being reinforced by the superhero boom? Anyone else? I don't necessarily think they've been reinforced in any way. Um, I, I think in, in the most cases, because obviously you've had the, the Marvel movies and then the DC movies, it's really just focused on your trinities, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and then you have your Marvel guys. And of course you had the original Spider-Mans and so forth, and they still sell ridiculously well relatively. But when you do introduce a newer character, um, who isn't as well known and especially hasn't and even if they do have like a TV show for example someone like Legion or I don't know the Mighty Squirrel Girl who's due to have a new comic coming out in the next uh, n- new film coming out in the next couple of years um, and she's very interesting she's, she's the only person who defeated Thanos with squirrels amazing um, her comic still doesn't really sell and you have the likes of She-Hulk. Her comic doesn't sell because people are still sort of attracted to what they see on the big screen. That, that's how I see it. I, I want to say something about She-Hulk. Boring as fucking... I, I play Marvel Puzzle Quest, and, and so that's how I know most of these characters because I don't actually... Mm. Fucking hell, She-Hulk. She-Hulk. What is the point? I, just really boring as shit. <laughs> there's there's a fun thing about that. With, with the She-Hulk bit that's kind of interesting is that when it started out, it, it was boring on purpose. Um, there's one thing which is never really talked about, which is the fact that there was a point under the Comics Code Authority, so I'm really going too far with this, um, where actually female characters weren't allowed to technically have their own books um, wow. as superhero books. Women weren't allowed to commit acts of violence. I think that's right, don't quote me on that. But mm. that's why women are always in teams like the Fantastic Four and the X-Men. And, and um, you know, Wonder Woman's a bit of an outlier. But they always had to be associated with something that already existed because there was it was frowned upon. So She-Hulk was a way of trying to include girls at the start, but it had to be kind of lame. But then later on, she's a lawyer and there's a whole lot of other stuff. It's actually And she gets freaky. She gets, yeah. she, she <laughs> gets, gets about, she's a, yeah, she's juggernaut, she gets, oh my God. Gets- yeah. She gets freaky. She, she, yeah. She's it's well known in the industry that she, you know, she's she's the forefront of the the sexual revolution for a lot of women of you know of that idea of empowerment of and sorry, I'll allow you to talk about that later, obviously. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. But when was what, what do you mean sexual revolution? Was She Hulk sixties? I I know very little about She Hulk. Maybe Ollie might know more, someone else. But I think it was more the sort of the, the late nineties, two thousand run when she was sort of okay. reintroduced and uh, essentially she was she she didn't actually revert back to her human form even though she could Mm. but she preferred to stay the seven foot tall lawyer super strong super powerful who could rock with juggernaut when she wanted to and essentially a lot of women took that on board and went yeah i'm going to the gym and i'm gonna go do that as well so (laughs) it was kind of one of those things that got really pushed Interesting. Simon, can you tell us more about that when we get to the um, section? Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Um, Would anyone have anything else to say regarding how the comic book culture, um, its place in our our popular culture, has it been negatively or positively influenced by um, the superhero boom? Um, 
I've got a bit to say, but I'd want to open it up first. No? I think, um, if nothing else, one thing I would, was going to add is that, you know, you're talking about print and um, and how the, the lack of, like, newsstand availability makes it hard to sell to kids, you know, the kind of impulse buy. And that is absolutely true. Um, speaking for myself, I've moved on to reading digitally through, like, iPad and stuff like that. And I even that, like, it's impossible to... My one critique of, like, um, Comixology, which is now part of Amazon, which I use, there are other outlets available, um, <laughs> is that... It's just an absolute cluster bomb. <laughs> like trying to find anything is super difficult. They make it so disorganized. Why? It's just like sandpapering your own face off. I don't know why. I feel like there's a better way to do it. I feel like it's comics someone... are hard. <laughs> comics <laughs> are hard. Exactly. Comics are really... like this could... obviously there's that element where yeah, you've got a, a story going across across like three or four different books and like you don't know which one to look at and Maybe it's not curated. I don't know. But yeah, that has been an interesting thing. But I find that interesting, like you say, that, yeah, you, you can't, it's hard to bring in the younger readers because, yeah, when I was a kid, it was like I would go to Forbidden Planet with my dad and, you know, go, oh, that one. You know, you can't really do that now, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. It, it does feel a bit like comics started off, well, I mean, it did start off for a younger audience and now it's kind of evolved into the, basically an art form. They're like, like mm. a lot of, the really good comics are kind of like art books. They are very, they, they become very dense and convoluted in their storylines. And I feel like, you know, the, the they become a, a victim of churn then where because the cycle has to keep going, it's just really difficult to get into. And you, because of that, it's kind of outgrown the audience that it was designed for because a little kid doesn't care about 10 years of, of, of law to, to get, uh, you know, today's comic. Um, I think it's, it's... Alan Moore would agree with you that kids mm. are being left behind in that way. I'd also say that in a strange way, if um, pop culture has fetishized certain moments in the history and feels that it can categorize it and move on, that has actually had a knock-on effect. Think about it. You've got Alan Moore, you've got Frank Miller, and you've got Neil Gaiman, and then you've got various other people who we as comic book uh, nerds or geeks, however you want to call it, are aware of, but The Guardian or The Sun isn't necessarily going to do a piece on. If The Sun ever did a piece on Alan Moore, it would be because he's just very strange looking and mm. he's got connections to a, a franchise that you've heard of. But point being is that for um, pop culture in a large format, it thinks it's Red Watchmen, it thinks it understood The Dark Knight. So why does it need to revisit it as a format to promote it to, you know, uh, to create larger copy? You know, it's not really going to shift more copy if you have um, one of those aforementioned people on it, unless those people did something new that in some way inspired a franchise. Do you know what I mean? So that in itself is strange. Um, it's, that, oh, go on. Oh, sorry, I was going to say, it's interesting you say that because one of the things I was, um, was going to say about movies and how that's how they interplay is because the movies, you've got a much shorter period of time and you have to get across the essence of the character, the essence that everyone knows then traps the characters in the comic book in this sort of very small bubble of what they can and can't be. Um, particularly is um, 
I obliquely said about Captain America wearing green when Captain America went full Hydra for a bit. There was like an almost guttural reaction to that. Like mm -hmm. it went very badly. Um, mm -hmm. And things like that. you can't do anything interesting because you're sort of tied down by the by the by the what the films will allow you to do, which mm -hmm. I find kind of fascinating sometimes. Um, However, that that piece is so influential within the comic books industry that I think one of the the ideas that they're thinking about for Chris Evans' return is to pose that line, "Hail Hydra," mm -hmm. in sort of like a "What If" or something like that. So there are so many um, threads that we can potentially explore from the older comics that weren't actually touched upon within the original runs of these more general pop culture, you know, or media uh, pieces as well. Um, but I, I, I don't necessarily know if there's going to be that much interest as well, because some of these, as you said, you know, if, if we take apart, you know, Alan Moore game and so forth, they're pretty much the Nolans of, of, of their industry, auteurs. You, you would say, and they yeah. complete full, full coverage of what they're doing. You know, they work with their illustrators and so forth, inkers, um, and then put out masterpieces. But actually to read them, oh my God. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so <laughs> difficult to sometimes get your, around, your head around some of the concepts because Watchmen to me initially wasn't that interesting. I was probably about 11, 12. And I was like, this isn't fun. This is just about communism. I don't know. <laughs> but it, it's taken me much now to really get around it. And I didn't even really watch the TV show because it didn't have this, it didn't have that effect on me. Okay. Um, oh man, the TV show was great. Sorry. Oh uh, yeah. Right. Okay. We'll definitely move on to TV and film very shortly. Um, in closing, I want to say, and this could be only an experience that I've had and a few of my friends have had um, because of our age. But if you bought a comic back in the day, it would be at tops, maybe like say three pounds, yeah? Now, single issue comics are a lot more expensive. And that could be where, because there's two sides of it. Some people are saying the comics book industry is dying and some people are saying that it's actually doing fine, don't worry. But mm. I'd say both sides agree that single issue formats are on the way out because yeah. 29 or so pages, five of them being advertising for games and other comics, and it being about five pounds doesn't make sense, right? Mm -hmm. if, if you're a kid of like, say, between 10 and 15, there's only so much your pocket money is gonna do. You'd rather get a trade paperback as in the one sold in Forbidden Planet or Waterstone. So that whole part of the culture I think is dying and the movies aren't necessarily helping it unless you guys know anyone who saw Iron Man and said, hey, I'm going to a comic book shop. Does anybody mm -hmm. know anyone that discovered comic books through films? I mean, and maybe I, know a few who tried, but then never pulled it off. <laughs> <laughs> and we know why. It's just, it's not written for them. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I, feel sorry. Like, I feel like we're also, like, it, it's what you're saying there is very interesting. Sorry, I just, I wanted to make this final point because I, I think it's relevant and kind of leads into the next section. Yes. Um, I feel like uh, one of the things that comics specifically has to deal with is the death of print. And, and how you adapt to a new era that brings that same excitement that print media had. Because, you know, you bring up the idea of, of, of the price now, which is for a very concrete and real reason, which is nobody's buying magazine, like print media as much these days. And so if comics are gonna compete with film, they need to find a way to 
to either make people buy the physical artifact for a reason, similar to with, with music, you know, if you were not buying CDs, how do you switch up the format, get people to read when it's actually somewhat harder now than just sending them to YouTube or Netflix or whatever? I had a crazy idea based on what you just said. And you guys are either going to laugh mm. at me or you're going to run off and you're going to use this idea for your own nefarious ends. It begins with me stipulating <laughs> this. Do you guys know that Keanu Reeves has his own comic? <laughs> no. Okay. No. Hold that in mind. Bill and Ted's Bad <laughs> Adventures? <Sorry. laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but my point being is that if you get a star, let's say Keanu Reeves or Brad Pitt, and have them and it being an executive producer to a comic book, not only that, but have them being announced on all social media and on billboards as being, say, the new Batman. Keanu Reeves is the new Batman, only in the comics. That's going <laughs> to make people go to it. This is only half the idea. The mm. other half is that you get someone good to fucking write it because it's not that they haven't <laughs> had these ideas before. When they yeah. say, hey, Iron Man, let's get him like, to look a little bit like Robert Downey Jr. in the comics, doesn't make sales go up because it's got no. no crossover. If you get Robert Downey Jr. to actually have a share in doing that, then great. Otherwise, we're waiting for someone like, say, Samuel L. Jackson, once like the comic books industry actually really goes into a really shit place, waiting for him to do a Bob Geldof and try and save it. And that might not happen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I just, I've got Robert Downey Jr.'s image. Like, I'm playing Marvel Puzzle Quest. And when Iron Man appears sweating in the game and he's about to die, it's it's Robert Downey Jr.'s face that appears <laughs> on there. <laughs> and, um, you know, the have you, did anyone watch the other Marvel thing, Runaways? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So the Japanese Nico, that's the image of Nico. And... Quake is an image of what's her face from the other. Yeah, they're so they're Nick and Nick Fury is Samuel Jackson with it. Yeah, and Agent Coulson. They're they're those are the people. Those are they're not. I don't know what they used to look like, but they're the actors in the, yeah. in, the in the puzzle quest online. It's very much like a religion, isn't it? And over time, as a religion gets older, then new faces become representative of a certain mm. people mm. within it. You know, mm. uh, before this becomes a whole Jesus was black <laughs> go into another part of this thing. Um, so how has the idea of superheroes benefited uh, fiction and media? And we're looking at now the subheading of the film industry. Anyone? Well, yeah, I, I have a lot of a lot of thoughts about the film industry. Um, I think it's uh, it's very interesting, that idea of how we kind of feel like we're in this transition period where comics started off dictating films and now it seems like films are dictating comics you know um and i find it very interesting especially because films are like prohibitively expensive to make they are out of all the areas we're sort of talking about they are you know millions and millions of dollars to get these things made like they're they're not cheap um and in a way, actually, I wonder whether that's, I wonder if sort of the decline of comics in a way maybe isn't so bad for it because it kind of feels like now it's entering this kind of art house area where the only things that are gonna stay and have longevity are the things that have real passion put into them because the money's not in it to do anything else 
apart from, I guess, you know, kind of Pulp Fiction. Um, whereas on the other hand, with film, what you've got are these ridiculous, huge productions where, um, once again, similar to the music industry as well, it, there's very, there's a lot of reticence to put money down on a film that is not going to sell product, basically. Uh, don't, um, I just have a question, Matt. Um, do you think film um, is more important or TV? Because I think TV has probably got better, has a lot more staying power than film because you can yeah, develop yeah. an arc. I just, I find, you know, you every three years you'll get one film, whereas the television, you'll get a nice you could really get into it and, and do you think maybe tv actually is influencing comics more than say either film or you know like which one of those two has got more more power on changing for sure <laughs> the other one I, mean, I, I think you've raised a really good point one that i was actually thinking of uh, mentioning myself um which is that yes i think at the moment i feel like film is kind of at the at the zenith you know it's kind of risen it's kind of at the top and i think tv is coming in now and really? start from there and the reason mm. i say well the thing is we're still in this we're still in this situation now where um streaming services are at loggerheads with one another we kind of have this console wars thing going on where if you don't have amazon prime or you don't have netflix or you don't have whatever then you don't um, end up seeing series x and you kind of get locked in by your uh, uh, media as a service provider to a specific channel of entertainment media. Whereas when we're, it's a more understood generality that when a film comes out, it's everywhere. And you can go to the cinema, well, you could go to the cinema um, and, and see a film the mo on the day it came out. I, I'm a little, I'm not, you know, like for, for real geeks out there, you don't need to buy Netflix or oh, Amazon. They're soul seek. Of course not. I, you know, I and, and you can get a hold of, and I just think the format of television is far more powerful than film. In fact, I think film and comics are dying out a little bit because who goes to, especially under a, during a pandemic, who's going to the cinema now, man? You know, so Tell me about it. <laughs> who knows it's really going to recover, but TV, who's been watching lockdown stuff now, right? No, I, I, yeah. Lockdown. I, I mean, of I, course, and that's, that's kind of why I think that TV is in the ascendancy and taking over film. I do hmm. feel like film has had the top position. And as I said, it's kind of, I feel like it's either at the top or starting to dip at the moment because we're still mm -hmm. in this point at the moment where, like there are a lot of insanely good TV shows out there. And as you say, yeah. they, they allow you to develop a storyline a lot more. And mm -hmm. it's another thing that I think is very interesting about the relationship between films and comics is that films, as Simon was saying, kind of have this, they, they kind of crystallize a character on a specific moment on, in time. And if we're talking Ollie. about, uh, Ollie, sorry. sorry. <laughs> um, um, yeah, sorry, Ollie. Um, yeah, but yeah, you know, they, they crystallize a character in a, in a certain moment of, of time, you know, a certain kind of collective memory. And I feel like that very nature kind of contributes even more in film to the kind of the grind, the slush, the kind of reinvention. Like you say that comics have reinvented themselves a certain amount of time. We've had Spider-Man rebooted, what, three times already in the space of like a decade or so. Like, 
is ridiculous. And it's kind of why the why I feel like at the time film was in a, was in a great position to conquer everything because visual media is very appealing. Everyone goes to the cinema. Mm-hmm. It was in a time when streaming services wasn't weren't all that great. And Marvel positioned themselves really well to create this multi-platform, all-conquering like MCU. And the kind of reason I feel like we are mm-hmm. at the, the top of this peak right now is basically because of the MCU. And we are now in the position where, you know, we are getting to that pay that that kind of burnout phase where people are losing interest. It's like I haven't seen. I, I, you will hate me for this. I haven't seen the second Endgame yet because I just like there were other things for me to do. Um, <laughs> so wait, you just, got all the way through and then didn't watch the end. Yeah, I know, right? Oh <laughs> my god! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! That's like eating like a meal and just like, no, nah, I don't want dessert. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, it felt a little bit like that. Yeah. Well. That's, that's, that's <laughs> fair enough. You were full. You didn't want dessert. It's all yeah. good. I mean, yeah. one, one day, one day I'll feel like dessert. I will. I will have that dessert. <laughs> I haven't. Yeah. Um, and I do think it's because of this fact that you know, film has to be this big investment, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so because of that, it's not very mobile. It's even worse in terms of like being able to come up with new IPs. People are really risk averse. And mm-hmm. so you're stuck reinventing Spider-Man six, seven times, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm it's... keen to Yeah, definitely. It. I mean, one thing... Go on, Go on Simon. I want to know if anyone else... Sorry, I was just going to say, one thing I do love is... Yeah, just just to say, one thing I do love, obviously with Disney being the, the behemoth that they are, uh, and you've got like WB as well, but you, you've got obviously Deadpool, like a character like that, who obviously had been formed in the car- uh, in the comics, being of a particular shtick, R-rated, horrible, you know, breaking the fourth wall, has been, he, he had the freedom on the Fox platform to essentially carry that on. And they got its 18 rating here, R rating in the US. And Disney deliberated for about two, three years uh, during the acquisition to say, are we going to make Deadpool 3? And the fans ask for it, but Disney weren't sure if they were going to destroy their bottom line because you can't make a Deadpool film at 15. There is no point. There's nothing there. But now they've actually relented and they said, no, you know what? We'll put it out as an 18 in the cinemas, but we'll also put it on, I think it's Hulu or one of the other platforms. And this is what we're finding is that you are getting your some of your cinema releases but you're also getting your uh, digital release on the same day and they're just really trying to cover their boxes uh, cover their platforms to say if you want to watch it anywhere you can watch it anywhere as long as you stick with us and and they're hoping that people don't jump off the platform like like myself with i watch the Avengers movies and then i don't touch disney plus for another couple of weeks until the next marvel thing turns up so, okay, yeah. so we're talking about the proliferation of superhero media and how it can be done in superhero films. But I'd like to know from anyone if they think it's been a negative or positive experience for the for the form itself. Um, I could say one triggering word: Scorsese. Anyone want to run with that? <laughs> Funnily enough, you know what? I um, I for some God knows unknown reason. When I was doing a little bit of reading around earlier, I was watching Paul Joseph Watson's commentary um, called The Infantilization of Popular Culture, in which he whines like a little bitch for about 10 minutes. 
about that very thing and just basically uses Scorsese and Alan Moore exclusively as, as ways to say, everything's terrible, people are mature, I'm great, you suck. Um, but honestly, all I was thinking was watching this is, nah, dude, nah, this whole thing, I think it's improved. I think it's helped things. I don't think it's made cinema more artistic. Let me put it that way, but it's definitely helped. I mean, there was a time, funnily enough, what I was going to chime in with earlier is when we were saying, you know, with, with Matt and Ola, when they were saying about like film and TV and how they, you know, will, will they one take over the other? There's a cultural part there where at least in America, film is the highest form of art. I think Stephen King maybe says that at some stage in a book somewhere where he's just like, you know, like, no matter what I do, no matter how good I could write the best book ever, it would sell more than any other book. And they'd still ask me if I could make a film out of it because it would be better. You know, what Stephen, I mean? Stephen, not... if Stephen King said it, it must be true. Yeah. <laughs> well, Stephen King's had so many terrible films. Um, yeah. Uh, he's, yeah. He has some, there were some really great films. Okay, Christine. Uh, all right. That, that didn't work out. The Mist was good. The Mist was very good. But yeah, all I'm saying is that like to draw more people into film, even if the superhero movies aren't great, at least they draw people in to, to take that thing. They bring them back into the cinema, which is a place they wouldn't have been. They keep that whole thing running. And you know, like you were saying with lockdown, there's no cinemas. For me, that's really sucked. It has been a very sucky year. Mm -hmm. And when I think when Warner <laughs> put out um, Wonder Woman on, on streaming, I was like, oh, come on like really like of, of all the stuff you could do you know like i literally risk my ass to go and watch um tenet in the movie theater mm -hmm. to try and keep the whole thing running and you just drop that on me no that sucks man come on if anyone else agree with ollie that it's actually good for film in regards to the superhero boom not that I'm trying to cause yeah. an argument. I'm just not <laughs> getting a big, bigger picture here. I, I, think I, I agree. Ollie's, with that. Yeah, I, I, agree. I think I think film is much better because of the because of the the superhero stuff. I think it is a positive thing overall. You know, I, I think not not film in general, but blockbuster film because mm -hmm. like blockbusters mm -hmm. used to be kind of shit, and at least with these superhero things, they're not. They're, they're they're not shit like they used to be you know like like i don't know like jaws or i'm not you know all that kind of Indian, <laughs> but they are becoming really formulaic yeah yeah, yeah they, they are i'm getting it i i know exactly what's going to happen in them i mean this is why something like civil war was brilliant and the genre movies are more interesting to me than the big crash bang boom films all the mm -hmm. time because i just think that the the, the directors have more freedom to sort of put their spin on it and say i want to tell a spy story or i want to tell a uh, a horror like new mutants for example which isn't that great but at least it's a horror movie which i haven't I really that be so good yeah. <laughs> I really that. I, i'd be so waiting badly. five years <laughs> and it, it was it was not that great but you know at least you you do have the ability because there are so many so going back to comics there are so many different genres that you can go into within just still within the superhero medium down different avenues horror romance you know big epics and so forth you have so much choice and it's great that you can do that i mean one one thing i will say in response to um the the uh the words that uh, john sort of inserted in the conversation there about scorsese is um 
I, my, my general opinion actually tends to be that um, I don't think it's necessarily ex especially superhero media that is the problem with the film industry for me. It's more the big budget block, blockbuster, like Hollywood block, blockbuster, which is kind of becoming the snake eating its own tail. And I, I think the, the film industry is going to kind of collapse in, a, in on itself because of this habit. However, responding to what uh, John said, Joker, I thought, was a really great example of how you can take a superhero IP and teach people a little bit of media literacy, tell a story that's a bit more developed, a bit more interesting, that isn't your average crash bang wallop, you know, like popcorn mm. film. And, and I do think we could do as a culture with a bit more literacy of there is a breadth of human experience that can be communicated via the screen that we're not being given because of the agenda set up by blockbuster capital. Mm. Okay. I'd like to say that I've flipped on this subject numerous times. At the current place I'm in, I would say that ultimately that this is going to be controversial. Um, no. Even, <laughs> even though we've had superhero movies um, for many decades now, like, I feel that this renaissance has got potential to expand based on what Simon Mitchell was saying before, in that there are various different subgenres that we can go down, whether it be horror, space adventure, whatever. But um, I, I don't really see auteurs coming in like say Lynch or, or Campion and wanting to doing something with the superhero genre that would be beholden to their um, way of expressing themselves. I mm. think even Lynch was taking the piss in one of the uh, later episodes of Twin Peaks, the third season, where he had a character have a Hulk fist. I shit you not. If you haven't seen Twin Peaks, it's probably freaking you out. <laughs> but that happened. <laughs> um, so I, I despair a little in that regard, because I would love to see what they would do if put in a position of telling a story with those mm. elements and taking it seriously. But I don't think that their mindset really has ventured off into those fields you know if I could somehow get a Grant Morrison comic into like David Lynch's hands who mm. knows what it could do to the space-time continuum as we <laughs> <laughs> or, or Tarant Tarantino I mean what would he do with a, a property I'm I mean he's doing Star Trek I'm yeah. actually less interested in Tarantino getting his hands on a certain comic because I've already seen comic book type Style. mentality through Tarantino's works already. He yeah. doesn't need to do a comic book movie. Um, and I hope that part of him realizes that, but who knows? Um, yeah. Do we have anything left to say about the film industry and its positive or negative impacts um, made by comics as in the, the superhero? No? Okay, so um, Ola, you wanted to talk about representation of marginalized groups has the superhero been positive? Has it been negative in that regard? Well, I think overall, it's a very pos positive experience because the superhero since the very beginning has represented weird looking people with capes, you know, and like for the LGBT, 
community. Okay, I'm going to start with Wonder Woman. I watched this um, movie about the guy who created, like, a, I don't know, maybe it was a TV, you know what, have you guys seen it? You know what I'm talking about? And mm -hmm. if this, hopefully it's truthful, <laughs> I don't know if it's not fictional, but uh, according to this story, he was in love with two different women. They kind of formed this threesome, you know, and then he was into bondage and, and you know, and role playing because he got a, and, and this was in the 30s and the 40s when this guy got into this stuff and somehow he created you know some you know a woman with a crown on her head and and a rope <laughs> and tying people up and 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 he you know there was a lot of spanking and stuff going on in, in the early wonder woman um you know in the 40s like like okay you know, I think when he actually started doing the comics, there were comments that it was getting a little too, uh, you better calm down, There's, you know, putting her over her knee and spanking her, you know, <laughs> okay, but there's basically there's a guy living an alternative lifestyle, and then he creates Wonder Woman, and Wonder Woman was huge for the gay community, you know, I they love Linda Carter, too, you know, I think Linda Carter has said that um, she as you know appreciates the support from the, the gay communication when she did the tv series it was it was i could see why you know there she was the, the theme tune was great fighting for our rights in your stuff i mean <laughs> disco I for you ola because when i chanced upon that information as well particularly there's um there's a concept with the, the lasso of truth being connected to the lie detector test. All this yeah. stuff that you find out about in these documentaries and you think, well, I can't tell other people about this because they're going to think I'm fucking crazy. Because for them, Wonder Woman is just like this female version of Superman. It's like, no, she's the product of a, a, a very, very complex trio relationship, um, which, yeah, involved a lot of bondage. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. yeah. There you, you know, you're wearing tights. <laughs> How many guys in the 30s were wearing leotard tights like Superman there in that cape, you know? I mean, so it was, a, it was a way to for men and women in some ways, very early on, 30s and 40s, to get out of rigid gender roles, you know, especially the guys with the tights. Because the, wo the woman, you know, Wonder Woman, I mean, she was a bit objectified without the skimpy outfit and stuff like that. But I mean, look at the huge Doctor Who, like Doctor Who is a huge gay following. It, like before New Who started, Old Who had a huge, huge gay following. That in fact, you know, forget about going to the co regular conventions. I always wanted to go to the gay Doctor Who conventions. Those are people getting together the pink crowd wow. yeah no seriously they 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 know how so these people know how to party man you know there's not going to be just like a bunch of sad geeks is it you know but they they love doctor who in fact so much so that <clears throat> when doctor who was canceled in the 80s i think it was the 80s yeah it was the late 80s it was canceled um they got together and then you know they, they would have these groups and they would constantly get together they watch who and they put together an episode that they made with a whole gay cast, right? And the BBC, like, and they would show it at, com I, I've never seen this. I would like, I, I always wanted to see this, but apparently the BBC approved this uh, thing that they did as part of their canon, even though they've never, it's never been shown anywhere. I've just read about it somewhere where the BBC, you know, lent its credence to 
the, the, the gay community creating this one-off episode that they did somewhere. I, I, I just read about it a long time ago and I would love to see that episode. I can't, <laughs> you know, then there's the gay doctor, you know, the first gay doctor um, somewhere unofficially not seen ever on the screen. Um, but, you know, I'm, yeah, Doctor Who, Jodie Foster suddenly, uh, Jodie Foster, right? Jo Jodie, whatever her name is. Sorry, not Jodie Foster. Um, you know, the woman who, who took on who? The idea that, well, you know, and, and, the, and the things that she has to put up with. She's, you know, we've always seen her as the guy in the situation. Now, you know, it, it, she's still the doctor. The doctor is the doctor, regardless of what her physical physique is. The best mind in the universe dealing with morons. <laughs> you know, trying to solve a situation, and then and then the, and then you kind of see, like you know, a you know, I always thought that that those kind of things, like Doctor Who, like Wonder Woman, they let you um, expand what you think is possible, what's allowed, you know, because in normal society, everybody's dressing this way or that way in their gender roles, but somehow there's somebody totally transgressing this. And, they, and society loves them and there's no judgment on them because they're super. Somehow being super allows you to be above the normal conventions and maybe allows you to do, you know, like, like, like a god, like we've talked about before, you know, like the superheroes being the Greek gods or just somebody who, or, or like a, you know, Liberace, you know, well, you can get away with that cape because he's Liberace. <laughs> You know, or there is a lot of spandex. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you know artists, artists will be quite openly flamboyantly wearing capes and gay or whatever. And and though they might not come out and say they're gay, but you know, the, you know, the, the, the people are not judging them because they love what they're doing. And 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 just pointing out that these limitations are ridiculous. Why can't regular people just choose whatever they want to be? Why do we have to be limited by these gender constrictions? So I personally think that yes, the superhero genre has greatly helped a lot of marginalized marginalized groups. Now, I mean, in terms of the gay community, yes. In terms of people of color, I think it's been a bit late to the party. Um, you know, like black, but you know, Black Panther turned up, and they use the word Black Panther. You know, this was a radical Black Panther is whether a radical group um that were totally um uh the fbi was targeting them and and you know and they were, a lot of those people went to jail i think for like angela davis you know if you've ever read her biography of how she got went to jail like she was somebody had used a gun that was registered to her in, in her in her name in a, in, a, in a robbery or something and she was you know they're trying to get her because she was a communist and a black Afro-American, let's say Afro-American activist, um, you know, and so, and then you, then the, I guess maybe the comic borrowed, this is maybe the comic borrowed, I think that the Black Panthers came first, <laughs> and maybe Black Panther the, con so I don't, I don't know, guys, I'm not sure where Black Panther came from, in fact, I never knew he existed until the movie came out. I, I couldn't really say, I'm, I think he's around the 60s, I'm, I'm not sure, sure John is so Black Panther was '66, created by Stanley yep. and Jack Kirby. There you go. Um, in yeah. Fantastic oh, Four, 
Yeah. 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 That Black Panther was actually based on Lothar, who came about in 1934. Lothar was the secondary um, character in a book that starred a character called Mandrake, who, mm. if you're really old, you may know that Mandrake and um, the ghost who walks, the phantom, and yeah. I'm going off on the old fucking one, but they were in a group <laughs> together. Um, but Lothar is actually the template for um, Black Panther because he was apparently a prince of various different nations in Africa, and he decided to abscond or abdicate from that rule so that he could follow Mandrake into the new world and help him solve crimes. Well, if uh, this was... Stan Lee that created him, I'm going to assume that the, I believe the Black Panthers were going before 66. And I imagine that Stan Lee probably saw them and went, I'm going to create. Mm -hmm. but I think that there's an interesting thing here that um, dovetails on quite nicely, if you don't mind, to a point that I was going to bring up, which is that comic books traditionally have this long history of being for out, by outsiders, for outsiders. Siegel and mm -hmm. Schuster created Superman. He's sort of the... Um, He's often referred to as sort of like the immigrant stand-in because they were Jewish immigrants to, to New York. You've got Stan and Stanley and Jack Kirby, who, you know, have varying degrees of disagreement with government and varying characters throughout. And for instance, the X-Men is the classic stand-in. You know, Stan and Jack were always trying to bring in things mm -hmm. and they'd always bring them in under the radar. Like you say, um, particularly people of different, you know, like, cultures ethnicities skin colors particularly didn't get much of a look in because in the 60s censorship was high but they always tried to backdoor these ideas in to try and make people more inclusive and yet for me growing up as a kid you know like the x-men was a hugely important thing um for my dad he loves daredevil that was his favorite thing and because daredevil was disabled he's like this is a disabled people i love this you know like this is mm -hmm. the best thing ever. um but now there's this kind of weird pushback, a sort of switch around where people pretend that none of that stuff had ever happened. And then now mm -hmm. we're trying to include too many people and represent too many people. And it's actually mm -hmm. doubly mad. And you're like, where have um, you been for 60 years? <laughs> Charlie, I'm glad that you brought that up because for a lot of people, they wouldn't really understand that history already being there. They wouldn't understand, even if they are aware of Wonder Woman's history, as Ola brought up, they wouldn't be aware that that is part of the history. And to an extent, um, I don't, I don't blame them for coming up with their ideas. I don't side with them, but I can see why they think that because this industry from the top down is owned by a lot of straight white men who even if they aren't straight, want to propagate that as being the norm. So therefore, mm. if you say back in the day, they've always been there, maybe in terms of the creators and their ideas, but for a lot of people, there is Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, they, they all seem to be straight people, yeah? Mm -hmm. so, well, they they, they mm -hmm. seem to be straight, but they're still defying gender, I, ideas about gender in terms of, like I said, the well, costumes. Yeah, this is the thing. You you understand that, but if you were to go into a classroom and talk <coughs> about the history of Wonder Woman, I'm sure that you might have an issue with how some teachers will take that history as it unfolds because they're under a mandate to have mm -hmm. a certain idea or diaspora in that classroom being shared. They don't necessarily want to have the history of Wonder Woman being part of canon. It's a bit like talking like about Hercules. Everyone thinks about the Disney Hercules being a hero when we know that Hera punished him for killing his children in a rage by giving him this role of labors. 
that that in itself you know tells you what happens when you put things into a paradigm that supports um mm -hmm. the mainstream idea of what is normal do you understand Matt, mm -hmm. yeah what you it's it's interesting you know because uh, it reminds me of something i actually only thought about today i was watching a video about uh girl boss feminism and um it wasn't even in the video it was just something that kind of came across to me as a result of it when uh, they were discussing the mythos around Margaret Thatcher, right? And I feel like there's this thing where if you were growing up at the time, you have this implicit understanding of the background and forces behind something. But then if you look at the modern day, there's this kind of need to kind of paper over the ugly bits. And so, for instance, with Margaret Thatcher, something I've kind of noticed when I, I've just looking at Twitter discourse, basically, seen arguments saying, oh, Margaret Thatcher was a girl boss, the first ever female prime minister. So good, girl power, you know, and it's like you completely plaster over any kind of negative thing she might have done because she was the first female prime minister. Um, sorry, I have a, a few things to say because they'd be kind of been percolating. Um, this kind of leads me on to another thought that I was having about, you know, um, the idea of, you know, comic books being by outsiders for outsiders. But we're now in the situation where it's not outsiders who are writing the comics anymore. I mean, they do to an extent, but these are now owned by big companies that are very much the in-group. You know, the, these characters, although they have this, this rich heritage, they are now kind of publicly owned by anyone. And I wonder if by that very virtue, it then becomes kind of impossible or very difficult to still be a force for progressive issues when you're having to satisfy a much wider audience that doesn't necessarily represent but, the initial uh, one. I think the thing is that the audience of comics from the very beginning has always been outsiders. And I think... I think that even though it is corporate and you definitely have a right to, to say, oh, hold on a second. But at, uh, I really think that you can't like, I, I, I just believe that like, it's kind of like musicians. Yeah, you're gonna have rock stars that are gonna be so big that you're like, were they El Elton John? Like, really? <laughs> but you know, <laughs> but that's it. That's like some some of these some of our rock stars become superhero become superstars, mm -hmm. and, and but they still have that a, a way of bridging the gap between regular people and the outside, and and maybe that's what their popularity is is all about. I mean, I does it lose some edge? You know, has Elton John really lost his edge? in the wind or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure absolutely you know but there's you know I, I guess you you have to be wary but I still think it, it, it has a way of crossing boundaries even though it's but yeah. it, it, it's both yes yeah <laughs> I, I mean absolutely I, I agree with you I, I'm not trying to say that superheroes are a universal force for bad in any way shape or form I'm just kind of saying there's a sort of wariness about this this need to legitimize a, a certain set of views in a certain way so that it can appeal to a broad base versus telling the stories that they came from. And sort of leading on from that, kind of a question for everyone was, um, you know, 
when we talk about this, do we believe there's such a thing as bad representation? Is there oh. a... Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Can I, I can think... I just say something? Wait, 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 I want to say something about Spider-Man. Um, because um, then, then really quick, Spider-Man, I think to me, Spider-Man was the, of, of the superhero folks, was one of the first outsider, really outsider of the superhero people. Because like Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman, they were all like accepted by society. But Spider-Man comes on the scene and he's broke. And he's like, and, and, the, and the police are after, it, his boss hates him. He's, a, he's the first vigilante. He's not a superhero. He's the first, you know, he's the, he didn't want to be a superhero. He's the first uh, guy who, he didn't want to do his stuff for good until his uncle got killed or something like that. Was that what it was? His uncle got killed. And yeah. uh, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't motivated by truth, justice. You know, it was, he had to, circumstances had to come in to make him that way. And I, you know, when it comes to the outsider, he's my first one. When I look at that canon of caped people, I go, um, you know. I'd say that arguably Batman was there first. However, I think the way Spider-Man is treated is very much how people looked at teenagers. You're not really basically a father yet. You're not really a kid yet. You're this thing in the middle and you don't seem to be hanging out with the other kids doing sports. You like, what, science books? Get out of here, you know, so. Oh, but you tell me how. I wanna know why you think Batman was our first. Batman had exterior forces that made him want to fight crime. Spider-Man's story, I think, is more- Yeah, but like the police, no, like, I wanna say that that's not what I mean. Like, yes, he had a motive too. You're, you're absolutely right. But Batman was in the system. They had a bat light for him. Yeah, Spider-Man. That, happens, that happens later. I, maybe I'm being too geeky about this. You're essentially right if you're talking about how Jonah Jameson used the media to make Spider-Man into someone that was seen as villainous. Mm -hmm. Arguably, because there's been so many stories from Batman that it could be easier to see him as being part of the system because in most of the stories, Jim, you know, Gordon is helping him through a bat signal and whatnot. But if you were to go way back when, when Batman basically comes onto the scene, he is seen as this otherworldly creature and you don't even know if he's human. So therefore he wasn't part of the system to begin with. Um, but yeah, I do want to know what other people think of that question. Ali, Ali had something to say. I'm sorry I interrupted you. What did you want to say? Um, I can't remember what we got to, to be honest. Oh, um, shit. Sorry. Matt has a really good question. Um, yeah, Matt, there, there is. Sorry, yeah, I was just going to say, sorry, Matt, I was just going to say there is a dissonance between the two major publishers. So you do have, obviously, DC, which fo focuses on your slightly out the otherworldly characters, your Superman, your Wonder Woman, your gods. But then you have Marvel that focus on more your street level um, uh, characters or you know, the ones who maybe have built their own uh, suits of armor, technology and so forth. And I think that people relate to them in different ways um so for, for example i i learned about uh christopher Peast, um who wrote the early power man comics and so forth and a lot of the stories that were written in power man were just focused on you know sorting out your local street corner robbery or, or helping out harlem which obviously is translated into the further tv shows and so forth but th that's something that people really really um uh, uh, were attracted to and drawn to and that's what Marvel and how Marvel really ex managed to keep themselves afloat 
during those really tough years uh, later on by making themselves grounded while DC focused on, you know, massive spectacle and so forth, like the Crisis on Infinite Earth stories. Um, so I would say, I'm going to sound like fucking uh, being a dickhead here, but <laughs> I'd say what you're saying made sense in a statement between, like, say, at the beginning of comics, well, for Marvel, before it after it became Timely Comics, um, mm. up until, like, say, the late 90s. But they've mm. both been cross-pollinating. For every god that's in the DC universe, you've got the Eternals now. For every yeah. street um, character that's, like, say, Spider-Man looking after his neighbourhood, you've got Black mm. Canary. So I don't think the divisions between DC and Marvel are as clear-cut as they used to be. Not so much anymore, but I, uh, I'm just thinking more of, like, Stan Lee and, obviously, his writing partner. Sort of, they, they have always said that they utilise their characters as... Uh, uh, platforms for them to speak out about themselves and then subsequent uh, writers and editors late within that sort of 70s 80s 90s period really did utilize as a platform um, while DC being the bigger juggernaut focused on just acquiring a lot of their 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 bigger uh, uh, characters as well um, and, and, so Matt's question, because um, I'm very aware that he's been patiently waiting for an answer. Do you want to reiterate it again for the, uh, for the audience so we can jump in? Yeah, sure. So just kind of building off this uh, whole idea of, you know, representation, and it's the idea of, do we believe in bad representation in superhero media? And if so, what does that look like? Boxing. I have not only remembered what I was going to say, but now you've said the question. Um, so there is one thing that I wanted to bring up, which was, um, it's a bit of a yarn and it's kind of the last 10 years, but cut short. Um, there's this whole problem, oh, I say problem, there's this whole thing with um, a particular writer, uh, Mark Millar, and also Brian Michael Bendis, and them trying to bring into Marvel um, stuff that you know that their kids want to bring like you say they, they want to bring their own um, lives into the comic books and I think particularly with Bendis um, he tried to introduce a whole bunch of characters which were more diverse which I applaud him for to be fair but it was such a scattershot hit and miss thing that it caused more division than it caused positivity so in some respects you get the positive cases like Miles Morales who is like the um, sort of half black half hispanic spider-man replacement um who is really well liked you get someone like america chavez who's a hispanic sort of superhero who is and even i'm going to say it so poorly written it actually makes you want to bite your own fist at some points and so <laughs> does no favors to anyone yeah. and then people in the middle like a character called riri williams who's um she's sort of a, a, the black female stand-in for iron man who was reared to a round of absolute tumbleweed. And it, it's so difficult to know. And there doesn't seem to be a formula to it. So many people have written and spoken about it and said, you know, this works in this because of this and this doesn't because of this, but it just seems to be whatever internet culture is annoyed at today seems to define whether these things <laughs> yeah. work or not. I, I, I have one per thing, thing of bad representation, just a bad, I don't know if it, marginalized i have to think about it. but i think the new wonder woman movie 
was really bad representation for Wonder Woman. I just no spoilers. Um... No spoilers. <laughs> okay, no spoilers. Yeah. About it, but no spoilers. Yeah. You have not seen it. You haven't seen it. Well, okay. I don't know who's watching this that hasn't seen it. So therefore, uh, okay. No yeah. yeah. Okay. So okay. So um, how do I? I just it's it's um. I just think that there's some weird ideas of feminism going on in Wonder Woman um, the movie. Like you've got, I, I don't think I'm gonna spoil it by just saying that there's like the, the typical like guy is a lech walking down the street. Wonder Woman has to come down and save him, you know? So there, there's, a, and, and, guy, and there's like guy, a lot of guys being creepy in it. Like there, Wonder Woman can't go to a party and just everybody going, hey, hey mama, how's it going? You know, it, it was like, it was, it was just kind of a little bit, I don't know, maybe in the eighties that it was, and this was probably the world of Donald Trump too, eighties kind of thing that she was doing. And maybe the guys were all creepy and shit like that mm. at a party. <laughs> maybe they were, but like the, 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 the supposed, antagonist to wonder woman like her whole like re thing that she wants the most is to be like a, like a high-heeled tart <laughs> you know that's it she just wants to be objectified that's that that's like what she likes about you know she envies diana or envies wonder woman and 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 aspires through various things to 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 acquire these things. I mean, all she needed was just to get rid of the glasses and change her, it was, that was it. It was just a wardrobe change. You know, she wasn't unattractive to begin with, but you know what I mean? But like the whole like makeover thing, that's a terrible representation for about femininity and what femininity wants. Perhaps we're <laughs> talking about the same thing using different examples. Um, we're talking about bad writing. I don't necessarily think this well, that, that was there was bad writing too. Yeah, well, <laughs> that, that, that is bad writing um, because even if they are making a point that is specific to the eighties, even if um, in Ollie's case when they're having a character that is clearly there to represent but is not actually a character that mm. is going to be an issue. I wouldn't say it causes division. I say it actually lets us see the division was already there. Because as I said before, these the mainframe of comics wasn't necessarily set up for um, the representation of people who are gay or the people who are black as far as knowing who they are and therefore promoting um, a story. <coughs> really saying that they were there to be an attachment for those male lead characters. So some of the incidents that you're talking about now are just mm. carryovers from writing rooms where they haven't asked themselves enough questions. You know, my, Brian Michael Bendis writing a black um, Hispanic Spider-Man, I've got faith in that because not only does he have people um, in his family who he's intimate with, who understand um, his job and therefore can talk to him about it and him being able to investigate that, he's a very good writer, but in the wrong hands, any of these characters will only come across as supporting a supremacy value. I have a, really you, 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 a light bulb went in my mind while you're speaking, John. It was a beautiful thing, yeah? I, I figured out what it is. It's like the only, when the representation is bad, it's when it's not real. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. gotta be real. That's what it's yeah, real. absolutely. I wanted to follow on from Ollie and Matt's sort of questions in regards to obviously the, the characters as Riri Williams, America Chavez uh, and a few others all sort of 
appeared and came out around the same time uh, um, in the comics as well. And I really do get the feeling that it was a, 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 a studio mandate or uh, an executive mandate to say, we need to tick these boxes. Okay, we've done some testing in different focus groups, and we think that if we bring out these characters that cover uh, black, maybe LGBTQT, uh, and uh, a few other bits and pieces as well, um, in five to six years, we may be able to get a movie out of it later on. And essentially, you're seeing that now, because if you look at the rest of Marvel's slate, because the original legacy characters are now ending their contracts and going elsewhere they're now being replaced by these newer characters which is great you know we i want it to continue but uh, essentially at at what cost Uh, essentially because they weren't well received back then and i don't necessarily think that a riri williams taking over from uh robert downey tony stark is going to do that well and I think she's going to get slated for it, unfortunately. Simon, I'm going to coin Matt's phrase here. That sounds like rainbow capitalism, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, we understand how popular Black Panther was and, you know, how much money was spent uh, by the Black community just, and also how much promotion, they free promotion they got it because everyone did do the, oh, yeah, and dancing around when they saw the film. It, it, it was like that. And, I, I know that's a, that's a one-off in, in my case. I don't the way forward really is about having talented, curious writers having a good business relationship with the executive producers of whoever's in charge of the comic book industry or the film industry or the television industry. If they are truly on the same page, the product is going to be powerful and it'll be undeniable. Even if I don't like a story, I can respect it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I can't yeah. respect it if they mandate a certain character who has been straight for God knows how many decades is suddenly um, pansexual. Like that's what's mm. happened to Wolverine. Apparently, um, Iceman, <laughs> yeah, apparently Iceman in the comics has now come out as gay. And like, It's been for a while, yeah. The thing is, if these things are coming from a a good um, galvanizing, uh, well-seeded plot, great. But I suspect rainbow capitalism, as Matt was saying. It, I think, Simon, it really gives it away when you, it sounded like they just did a focus group. And then <laughs> that's I, I, what we're gonna do. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they do. But they're also pushing away from that because you do have a new comic called um, I Am Not Starfire, which is causing a lot of um, conversation in on the online community which is where i stand more or sit down and and listen at things and it's really about starfire's daughter who is starfire is obviously a dc character from the titans you know very very powerful six foot tall red hair um shoots laser bolts and her daughter is a chubby goth and i think she's also a lesbian or bisexual i'm not sure but a lot of the questions that are asking is do I not me personally, but because I don't read the comic, but the people who have read the comics, like I don't want to see that for my comic book characters or my superheroes. I I I look to my superheroes to, you know, be confident and to be just. And while this character is much more um introverted and, and she generally hates her mother as well. And a lot of people are feel really annoyed that they're pushing that type of character. And they did the same thing with the um square soft. Uh, snowflake and safe space yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> and a few yeah. others oh, as man. well i mean essentially like 
Um, I, I won't talk about those specific cases because I haven't read the media. Uh, neither have I. But I do think that if people are writing really interesting stories, then it will survive any kind of um, particular cultural uh, malaise or kind of like pushback. So, you know, I, I almost don't even know how talking about it really benefits those people. So you didn't like seeing a particular kind of person in the comic book. Cool, don't buy it, move on. Do you know what I mean? See, I, I think yeah, this is interesting. You, you talk about, I'm surprised Simon, you're not, you don't like Starfire or was it? Because like you uh, like a lot about this Matt and boys, which I do, I like boys. No, I like Starfire. Oh, you, but no, I, but I see, she's like an anti-hero, like the boys character. That's right, what you're okay. when you're with the daughter that you're talking about, mm -hmm. you know, and that's why I, when you were describing her, I was becoming interested mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. she was a anti-hero, as you so so to speak. See, mm -hmm. I, I'm not always interested in our boy, our 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 heroes to be confident. I mean, that I think it started with Spider-Man. Spider-Man wasn't <laughs> had to deal wasn't always confident, you know. That's what made him great. You know, that's uh, part of I his mean, charm. As I said. <laughs> Um, I don't really know the character that well. I haven't read it all the way through, so I can't really comment. But just looking at the general messaging boards, it's not being received well. Similar to what you're getting in the Star Wars High Republic as well comics. They're not being received well because of corporate box ticking and so forth. And it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm really looking forward to Future State, what they do with that, because they've changed all of the characters, essentially. You've got a Black Batman. You've got a Puerto Rican Wonder Woman. And, and oh, yes. first, uh, I think I'm not, I'm not sure. There's another character. Oh uh, man, Puerto Rican Wonder Woman. All right, Latino. Ciao for Wonder Woman. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, would, I would like to move on um, to like. There's two more subheadings. Um, first is television. Does anyone believe that superhero fiction has been bad or great for TV? Anyone? Great. I'm just going to say great. I, I think it's been great for TV. That's it. That's all I'm going to say. I, mean, I think there's, there was an element of fatigue in there for a while, I think. Um, or it has been. It's an interesting thing where like stuff that I was incredibly stoked about for several years has now gotten to be such a drag that I'm like, oh, that's a shame. And then other things which I thought were amazing died on, on their ass. You know, it's, it's a strange thing. Television is a weird and strange place. When you make a movie, you make the movie, it goes out and it's done. When you make a TV show, you don't know if you'll get your second series. You don't know if you're going to be fireflyed around episode six. So you can't <laughs> do much, you know. I, I yeah. want to make a, a one more thing I want to say about television and why it's interesting. Um, uh, when Buffy came out, there've been comparisons to Buffy and Dickens. And, and Dickens used to be the first one who serialized his stories, you know, from episode to episode to episode. And I think that's that's what television has. It has that well, you know, maybe that soap opera thing where, where t today's new episode, you know, it has that ability to take the story further for better or for worse, you know, because sometimes people, like you said, people get tired, like Smallville. It should have been retired, well, a long time after it started. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, like, but you know what I mean? Like, uh, it, it depends, you know, it, it, it's got good, that's it. When, it, when people get tired, when they're at Arrow, Arrow should have been retired 
a long time. I watched that whole thing. It's uh, yeah, I don't oh, know. Oh, really? I did. Yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. I, but it I got me into three, and I thought, "Fucking hell, man!" This yeah, is no, you, you were, you were right. You were right. That guy, the guy who played him, was just so wooden and shit. But it got me into Flash, and Flash was great. I still love Flash. I still enjoy Flash because it's fun. Okay, you know, I, I, I jumped off of that ship as well, to be honest. I like seasons one and two. Um, but before this becomes too subjective, I want to quickly say that my instincts regarding the film industry and superheroes, you know how I was kind of like chopping and changing on that? I'm very certain that television is where the superhero genre ought to be. Because not only is it obviously more linked to what comics do and that it's long form storytelling, mm -hmm. But I feel that there's much more experimentation going on there. I can easily reel them off, like say the boys, um, even as far back as um, uh, 2013's Daredevil, which arguably kind of st you know stuck in a lot of people's minds. And from there on in, everyone really to wanted, wanted to jump in on that. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I find that there's a lot of health going on when it comes mm. to superheroes and TV. Uh, so, um, sorry, I, I just. Really want to jump in on that because uh, I mean, one, I am a massive Daredevil fan and Luke Cage, and pretty much every single one of those theories, apart from the Iron Fist, which I think kind of went <laughs> there. <laughs> but um, anyway, what I meant to say off the back of that is that I do think we are in a renaissance of TV, like, like massively so. And I feel like the part, like the, the thought I had whilst John was speaking was that part of the reason I think we're here is we have so people like Amazon and Netflix, they're raking in cash. They've got so much money to throw around and they can just throw money at things and experiment in a way that most other, most other mediums can't do. And I think that allows for a much higher level of creativity and risk. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I also think that that leads to I haven't seen it so much on other platforms, but fucking Netflix, I don't know what the hell is up with them. They create these ridiculously great series and then they just cut them off. Uh, yeah, they, they, they do that. Yeah, they, they do that for money reasons or something. Like they're signing I, I think I think that's also the, the dictate from um, Feige and his group as well at the top over at you know, Marvel Studios and also Disney, because if they feel that there's going to be some sort of crossover or it's going to be too complicated for movie watches and then they go off to watch the series and they don't understand why the defenders weren't in the avengers movies and so forth they kind of have to stop it there and go no 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 let's not let's not talk about it uh, and let's try and sort it out later and actually now we're finding especially as matt said we're going through this renaissance is because you do have a studio head like a kevin feige who while isn't there day to day has sort of is now overseeing all of the Marvel film group and TV group. And essentially they share um, story ideas to say, okay, we're gonna be doing, um, I don't know, WandaVision at the moment. This is going to lead into Doctor Strange 2, which then off the back of that is gonna have effects of Spider-Man 3, which means we can talk about the multiverse, which means we can have, um, what's his name? Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield and also Dr. Ock and, and Electro oh as well. We're going to have all that in Spider-Man 3, but this is all leading off the back of WandaVision, Captain uh, Falcon and Falcon Winter Soldier. It's all one unit. Uh, DC can I, can't do that. Yeah. I, I have one thing to say um, to, to go on with Matt, what Matt was saying. Um, 
yes, we are in a renaissance, but only in the US, not in the UK. Because like, and the reason why is the UK, for example, Doctor Who, does not a renaissance, as much as I love New Who, it doesn't do story arc. It's part of, in fact, UK television is notorious for short episodes and one-off episodes. And they don't, even in general, they don't really get, like Buffy started it. And for me, Buffy started it. And then I saw it in tons of other US TVs that suddenly picked up a story arc is a great idea. Cause you know, in the seventies and eighties, a lot of stuff was one-off, even Star Trek. A lot of early Star Trek was one-off, but Doctor Who, you know, it doesn't have the, it could use a bit more, investment in an arc that goes through the whole season that grips you i you know and you saw it with russell t davies reboots and torchwood is torchwood stank that's terrible off topic but just because i don't understand you saying that buffy the vampire started off story arcs in television or just superhero type media for for myself personally okay. i think in it, because it was in the 90s you know, it started, you know, before the 90s, especially, I grew up watching a lot of TV, way too much TV, and it was very formulaic in America, and they didn't have story arcs, you know, like you'd fall in love in one episode and lose someone and that's it. And that would be the, 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 that would be what 70s and 80s TV was like. And it wasn't until the 90s when Buffy, for me, when Buffy came on the scene, and it was, a, and the arc, and even in science fiction, you know, I watched all the Star Treks, I watched Doctor Who, and yes, there were arcs that old Who, which would last six episodes or whatever, but it wasn't the same. It wasn't yeah. like yeah. the Buffy yeah. thing. And then, and then it just, and from there on, it expanded to other genres. It wasn't just Buffy. It, it, it leaked into, mm -hmm. or maybe there was a couple of other things before that, but for yeah. me, that's yeah. when, I, when I, when it hit me. You know. sure. I would say Twin Peaks owes a lot um, to this conversation, um, or whatever where the conversation has gone. I'd like to know if anyone thinks that superhero fiction has been positive or negative for television. Anyone who hasn't really spoken about that specific subheading. I think overall, sorry, <laughs> I think overall, I know I'm always the positivity guy, but I think it's been good in some ways. It's gotten a bit too unwieldy, like the movies. There's too much going on. But there's been some really good stuff in there, like the Netflix stuff. And I was going to say good news for you, Simon and Matt. Guess who's going to be Spider-Man's lawyer? But... Um, yes, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, I heard about that. It's so cool. Yeah. It is cool. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so like, I think overall it's been positive. Like The Flash has been great. Black Lightning, whilst being a bit awkward has been a really black really lightning. i like black lightning it I'm, had some really I'm solid moments i was watching it going yeah this is this is what i want to see um you know and and some slightly more odd ones i think they've been slipping around the back it's good um you know but like yeah like you like you say all like the you know british tv is a different kettle of fish you know i think everyone would have you know, beating an old lady with a stick to get another episode of Sherlock, but we're not going to get one. Um, yeah. You know, things like that. Um, so it's I mean, been tough. I mean, I think I, th I think I dropped off uh, with the TV stuff around 2018 when I'd watched three, four seasons of Arrow, a couple of seasons of Flash and Supergirl and so forth. And I just saw the same formula. 
Yeah. And I just couldn't do it anymore. And I was just got so bored. And then you started having your runways come in. I, I didn't even watch Legion. I didn't watch a few others because anything that was attached to a TV prop, because I was disappointed by the Netflix stuff um, in the later seasons as well, because they all just followed the formula. Now, I think, as, as I just said before, now that we've started Marvel Phase 4 and they've got a really clear plan, of what is going to happen for the next four to five years across all of their mediums, I'm becoming excited again. And I'm, I'm glad that the Arrowverse is kind of dead because I, oh, Lois and Superman, no interest. No yeah. interest at all. I saw Lois and Clark. That was great. I was also 12. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, don't want to, I don't want to watch it anymore. Really but. good point. Like essentially I'd say that if you're of a certain age then potentially all of these things are interesting. For me personally, I think I work from the boys and then move out from that because yeah. matter, even if you haven't even read comics, just the extremely well nuanced critique on consumer culture and who we choose to represent us in positions of power, that mm -hmm. show does so well that even calling it a superhero show feels a little bit odd to me because it's it's going beyond what people think of when they call something a superhero show which in itself well, is a bias i guess i i just want to say this like i when i watched flash and arrow it was because i was eating i would have eat, like that's my <laughs> eating tv but i liked flash i actually really like flash and i still like supergirl um but because i'm i'm like a child inside my head so it <laughs> You know, it, it, that, that's my kind of, I always have a soft spot for these things, but um, what when we're legend, Legion, I recommend you take a look at that, Simon, because that shit's weird. That shit gets yeah, weird. Legion was, Legion's <laughs> weird. I've got WandaVision. I'm good. But, WandaVision but is very weird. Wanda, WandaVision is all, I was, gonna, I was going to mention the two things that are going in a, in a new way was Legion and WandaVision, they're different in different ways. I think mm. Legion started off much better than WandaVision though, mate. So I've heard, I've heard it's good. You might I've want definitely. to just, don't, don't mm. just say no to Legion because that shit, the first season, season two and three, but season one, I recommend of Legion very highly, but WandaVision, yeah, man. I mean, I'm. By the way, um, oh no, I'm not going to say this now. But um, <laughs> yeah, I've been watching WandaVision, and I'm a bit like, mm, let's hope this gets going somewhere because it's just like a pastiche of 60s and 70s. I just the, the second episode of WandaVision, or no, the third episode of WandaVision. This is a fun-filled fact. I know you guys didn't get it here, but they that house and which is based in the 70s, that's the Brady Bunch house. They designed it on the Brady Bunch house. Yeah. The first yeah. house in the second in the second first two episodes, that's the bewitched house. That is, they even had the door with the, the thing. That is, they designed it that way. I and mean, Dick Van Dyke. Yeah, I think they kind of want you to know that. I don't think they're, they're trying to rip it off or anything. I think- Oh no, they said so. They said yeah, we yeah. did it, but I, I, they didn't need them to tell me. I saw it and went, yeah, oh yeah, because yeah. I watched that shit. I mean, that's, um, I mean, I won't go into spoilers, but I think the first two episodes of the WandaVision thing, um, they left me a little cold and that could be simply because um, I can uh -huh. see where they're going with it. And so once uh -huh. you get that quite earlier on, it feels a bit laborious. Um, mm. So I wish I could like literally take out certain storylines out of my brain from what I see in the comics. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know exactly. So like, I, I see that. I think the third episode was more interesting because they're, they're showing me different elements of their interpretation of those storylines. Mm. Um, and I can't wait for it to all be over because mm -hmm. some of the Easter eggs um, are particularly interesting in terms of what they're trying to say. Hey, 
wink, wink, nudge, nudge, look what's really going on. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I'd like to see more surrealism in the superhero genre via TV. And I think that's where it will flourish. Can I ask a quick question? Can I ask a quick question? What do people think about um, dropping a series as a whole or spacing it out weekly? Can we keep that for a particularly... I'm going to do a video on that. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Like, I feel that this entire video has been dropping Easter eggs. <laughs> Everything will do up in the You better come back, guys. Come back. <laughs> I want to say, say one thing about WandaVision. One thing that's a problem with WandaVision is it's just like a homage to those two TVs. Like, it's a homage to that show. And that's why I didn't like it because I watched a lot of sixties and I watched a lot of Bewitched. I watched the Brady Bunch and it was and yeah. that that kind of like you know they move the story along. Um, <laughs> That's yeah. why so I that like it. To it though. I found it laborious as well and I can see why you'd find the particular pastiche being a problem as did I. But I don't know, it depends on what you've read. But I think if you go back to um elements of Wanda's backstory in Age of Ultron in terms of what she went through and what I think is comforting for her, that is my fan theory as to what oh. is going on. Mm -hmm. I don't know anything about WandaVision. I, I, if I've seen her in the Marvel things, I've forgotten her. Sure. So, uh, I don't know anything about her. I feel like there's like this dangerous ledge called John. You're walking on spoilers. What the fuck? Is yeah, this? yeah, stop. So I'm going to get off of there. Even though it's just a theory. It's, but hey, it's just a it's film. It's a film. <laughs> yeah. Can we yeah. Um, move? If, if anyone's got anything. Wait, wait to say, Oliver. Oliver's desperate. I can see yeah. it. I was just going to say, there was one thing I just wanted to chuck in really quickly because I wanted to tie back a quick thing, which was Simon mentioned genre pieces in movies. And we were talking about that and we're talking about surrealism and so on and all i wanted to say was of all the superhero shows and comic book shows that have come up the ones that are the most genre piece are the ones that do really well like legion and preacher the first season of preacher was absolutely stellar like um lucifer uh, as, as... lucifer and daredevil when it was basically being mm -hmm. law and order rather than a, TV, a superhero show or jessica jones being you know, Cagney. Oh, yeah. um, I love Jessica you know, Jones. They were great. But then as soon as you hit Iron Fist, what, yeah. what is yeah. the <laughs> Like, as soon as you hit Arrow, once you take out the sort of like oh. gritty parts of it, what's left? You're just watching yeah. it for first be really. Um, you know, that's it. Anyway, move on, John. Okay. Okay. Um, Sorry, I'll, I'll leave it. I'd have put an Iron Fist, but it'll probably... Uh, Distract us, so I'll let you carry on. Oh, John. no, no, I'm never tired of hearing bad things about Iron Fist. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is not so much a, a bad thing. It's more a, a missed opportunity in a way that I think Iron Fist could actually have been a lot better. And technically, it would have been fucking with the source material. It wouldn't have been canon. But there's a scene towards the end of the first season where he, uh, the Iron Fist goes up against uh, this... Uh, Big bad. I can't remember the character's role in the story, but he's this Asian guy who's kind of a drunken master. Like he get he gets really drunk and he fights whilst he's drunk, right? Hmm. He was originally uh, auditioned to be the actual immortal Iron Fist, and when you see him fighting, you get a preview of how good the kung fu fighting in Iron Fist could have been Lewis if he Tan. would just yeah yeah. And if he was Iron Fist, I just feel like. There would have been a very interesting story to tell there around a uh, a second generation cult like culture Asian person reconnecting with their roots rather than a white guy coming in and being better than all the kind of uh, Asian people at their their kind of um, the white uh, great hope 
was it? Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. you know, you've got this. Um, you've got this really good point there. Essentially, you're saying that he was saying, "I'm the paragon of this martial art," and you accept that. I think there's there's this whole kind of like history to Iron Fist, which doesn't really work well in our current understanding of what plays out. What could have been good is if he had to lose elements of his privilege so he could actually become a better person. That's the true story of Iron Fist that could work. I mean, let's face it, mm. he's a rich boy. He's got it all going for him. Then he crashes into the mountains and loses his family. I mean, that's pretty hardcore, but we don't get a sense that when, when he turns um, into this martial arts geezer, when he comes back to America, that he's truly humbled himself. He had the same issues as Anakin Skywalker in the second prequel movie. This guy simply is unlikable. And you don't have to be likable to be a good character, but that didn't make sense about him because he, mm. he would say that he was humble. He would promote the idea that he was humble when he was dealing with people, but he didn't come across that way. And that he should have just been Batman. That's the thing. same thing. Yeah. That's the thing. Um, the, the bad news is that guy is also the actor in the Marvel Puzzle Quest. That's his face. I keep seeing. Well, you What's know, his face? The, great, the great dope. That, that's, the great a white that's a homogenized aspect of this corporate entity that is Marvel, just replicating itself of whatever's the current mm. face. But um, I would say that Iron Fist was a missed opportunity, not necessarily because of the acting or the person that was playing Iron Fist, but because of the inherent story. Um, and I feel bad for the actor because it's not that the actor was bad, but those lines, mm. there's, no, there's only one way you can truly play them. If someone's telling you that they're humble and they're a good person, then I start to get suspicious. I'd rather see that in action. Um, but yeah, let's move on to our final element, the games industry. Have superhero fiction in any way been a good or a negative influence on that industry? I mean, I think there's some very interesting things about how, how we even consider the idea of a what of what a superhero is interesting when we come to games, you know, um, to, to to maybe give us a slightly controversial view. I feel like in terms of the games industry, a character like Mario or Kirby is actually a lot closer to being a superhero um, <laughs> than than the actual superhero games. Like I'm not saying that's that's the rule across the board. But I say, I mean, in terms of the risks that are taken, the sort of stories that are told, like, okay, there are places where it works. Like, I think Batman Arkham Asylum was a good example of superheroes crossing over into games. Hmm. But because we've got this thing where the film industry is kind of calling the shots still in terms of how everything else pans out, you end up with things like, the Avengers game where it's just all about the money. And mm -hmm. I think that's, that is the issue basically. If you can remove the money from it, at least in some sense, then you can start getting these genuinely interesting stories. I, I, on have, our one, I, I have one thing to say, cause I don't actually play games that much at all really, but um, mm. I did get into the Buffy game after this, when the series came out cause I was so desperate to get into more. And I think for me, um, and I've, I've played a couple of games, but one thing, and it, it goes along with what Matt is saying, the, what I liked, I, there was two Buffy games that were released on Xbox, and I got them both, and I played them all the way to the end, even though I'm shit and died a lot, because I'm not good at this shit, right? But 
there was a story. It had all the actors, a lot of the first one was better than the second one, I think, but because you had a lot of the original actors, more of the original actors, but most of the original actors doing the voices. But there was a good story. I got into the plot. It had an ooky feeling, you know, and I think that's the problem with superhero stuff. If you are just doing it to, 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 it seems to me like a lot of the superhero stuff is just cashing in on a buck, mm. you know, mm. cashing in on the, the thing. And, and if, if they don't have a story, it's going to stink. And um, I, you, you can yeah. tell yeah. me whether that's the case because you guys play game, more games than me. I was going to say it really depends on what period of time we're talking about. Mm. I think in the recent years, superheroes and games have gone together really well. If you're looking at Arkham Knight being not so great, but Arkham mm. City, fucking amazing. Mm. Uh, Arkham Asylum, um, these are all Batman games, if you don't know. But essentially, I this is quite sad, but I would feel really happy playing the Arkham um, City game if it was like, say, two in the morning. <laughs> and that, that, yeah. it, it's got it all in that sentence, right? Because you're thinking that you're Batman mm -hmm. and you don't have to yeah. do the main mission. You can literally just spend about three hours. That's how sad I was. Three hours crashing <laughs> on fucking buildings. Looking around. <laughs> you're bad guys. You go down, you swoop down, you take them out and you go back up to the building. You're looking around. And mm -hmm. maybe this has had a negative impact on the comic book industry because... If I was like the age when I was into like getting into comics the first time, I was like about 11. Um, Cause like, obviously it was the Batman TV show from the sixties. I watched that with that. I got into the comics and that was just before the Tim Burton movie came out. I was really into it. But if I was that age now, I don't think I would find the comic books. I think I would be playing that PlayStation because I'd be brought up with screens. I'd be brought up mm -hmm. with uh, visual aids being my, um, form of, of interpretation of stories. So in regards to this question, has it been good for the games industry? Yes, but at the expense of the comic book experience. So I mean, yeah, go on, Matt. Sorry, just one thing very quickly in response to that, because it reminds me of um, one really good failed experiment that happened with the games industry that I think almost points at a, a future in, in a way, if, it, if, it, if we could bring back that format somehow is sort of the golden age of the telltale game where you had things like the walking dead and the wolf among us where these were basically interactive comics like they mm. they weren't your average kind of rpg like uh, beat em up style game they were literally a linear story where you made choices that affected the narrative but it was told in the visual language of the comic book yeah yeah absolutely the, the batman Arc Telltale game is one of the best. I didn't play it, but I watched it or someone else playing it through a playthrough, and I thought that was great. Um, I mean, in, in regards to games, I was first introduced to it from watching the animated uh, uh, X Men uh, shows back in sort of 93, 94, and then searching out my, my uncle's Sega Mega Drive. And I think he had the original X-Men games on there and also Spider-Man Maximum Carnage. And I went back and forth trying to find because what they would do is they would give a storyline to a random publisher and they say, look, turn this into a game. And then you would end up playing Maximum Carnage on your Sega Mega Drive, swinging around as Spider-Man or as Venom. And then you'd have these random. I didn't even know who Vision was when I, I played my first Avengers game. So I went out to the comics to go find out, oh, it's this guy, but he was white. 
back then. It was pure white and very interesting character. And then skipping forward to now, I think what Matt originally said in regards to, you know, the, 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 the technology that we have now, especially with VR and so forth, and also, you know, high definition graphics. Once again, we do have the ability to have that big spectacle because that's why I, I love you know I do love superheroes is to have those big uh, exciting battles or being able to put on Batman's gloves and walk around the Batcave as wearing VR and feel like John maybe not jumping up on my bed <laughs> I didn't do VR that heads. it was in the game it was- <laughs> uh, I might do it with a VR headset on just doing things like that and and things like that because we have got to that point and i i think it has translated quite well while uh movie characters on the other end don't transfer to games at all i don't think there are many games simon i have a question i'm confused Mm. what do you mean vision was white back then like vision in the wandavision's white is there a black one no no his suit he was he was pure white his suit was white it it was a weird the eight the late 80s were weird they changed everyone like (laughs) it it, it was very strange i do think that it's possible um to celebrate um games like arkham city and arkham uh, asylum and whatnot because they thankfully were made in the the 2010s right imagine yeah. if something like say i don't know the dark knight which really was even though um, they're looking at arkham asylum the comic book as an inspiration it was really the dark knight that they're really drawing inspiration from but if the dark knight or something sophisticated like that came out in 1989 the kind of games that you get from that time weren't mm-hmm. particularly great you know i remember playing that batman game and it's a famous glitch that you can't really pass the level without a lot of like hard work um, <laughs> but i don't know maybe i'll write another letter to amstrad one day um, but <laughs> my point being is that we're in a really um, special time where even though arguably the culture is more entitled it's because they know that a certain amount of uh, profit can be made from these games. So therefore, I want to mm. know it's going to be great. And there's a certain amount of technology that can benefit those games as well. You have to get the right publisher. You have to get the right developer as well. If you give everything to EA or to <laughs> Bethesda or someone, well, maybe so the big companies, they know they're just once again ticking boxes we want to get microtransactions in there we want to have a a linear or a a story quest that lasts seven hours turn it into live service so we can keep people coming back rather than giving it to a dedicated team who love the uh love the uh the, the the property itself and understand you know the character how they 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 jump swing do whatever like the new spider-man on ps4 that was given to a smaller developer who knocked out of the park. Amazing game. And, and they've continued to do Miles Morales and so forth. And they will continue to do that as well. Cool. I think there's, um, there's one aspect of the video game thing with superhero comic book video games that always goes a bit unremarked upon, which is an interesting thing because you just actually made me think of this, is that there are very few superheroes that reliably make good games. And the Mm. only one really is Spider-Man. But the only reason that is, is because all games have to have a core gameplay loop. They have to have a repeated thing that you do over and over again to make that game entertaining. Take, name a superhero whom you could impose a good gameplay loop upon. This is amazing. Um, I would say the most difficult character 
um, to do will probably be Superman. Just because Superman sixty four. Well, mm. Yeah, I was about to say the Superman <laughs> video game sucked more than any other video game yeah. probably in history, apart from ET. Exactly. <laughs> it only works. Exactly. Good shout out. Um, the, the only way that Superman works in the game is when you depower him and put him into a Mortal Kombat type 2D fighter. And even then, mm. it plays with your head because any kick from Batman into Harley Quinn is going to end her. So I just don't mm -hmm. understand that shit. I just mm. have to get that out of my system. Thank you. Um, I do find that there was a, there was a great Hulk game. I was going to say, Ultimate yes. Destruction. played that so much like fucking up even when you've clocked the game you're still smashing shit up like <laughs> you could just literally go to a town and just think well bill bixby's no longer around so no one's gonna stop me i'm just gonna do what i want it's insane that game um but i'd say that there's quite a few characters you could do ollie but they can't be on the level of say cosmic and they can't be on the level of say a superman type uh, analog so it can be done i mean I think there's some, like some of the Marvel Knights guys would be interesting, some more than others. Obviously, Moon Knight is the direct standard for Batman. Um, but someone like Daredevil yeah. is an interesting choice. Um, you know, but then some of them, in a way, some of them are so good that to have to be a fallible human being controlling them doesn't really work. So I was thinking, actually, with the Avengers game we talked about, they're like, oh, you can be Captain America. I'm like, how is that going to work? Because it's basically just you're going to beat guys up and then you're going to screw up throwing the shield and feel stupid. Mm. Or like, how are you going to mm -hmm. be Hawkeye? How are you going to put three arrows in a guy? No, you're not. Like, it's going to look ridiculous. But then on the other hand, yeah, like Hulk always works. You know, like Thor probably works if you're playing it as a sort of Devil May Cry type thing. You know, but it's it's a tough call. It's it's hard to to find the right source material for that. You know? Perhaps the truth of it is it depends on the game engine. As I said, if Superman is downscaled into a 2D fighter, then in your head, it kind of makes a certain sense, even if I can't, I don't really particularly like that game. <laughs> but if you were going to have like, say um, the Avengers game or like say a Hulk game, as long as the game engine supports it in its own internal logic, because Hulk mm -hmm. has never been able to jump as high as he can in that game but because it's hulk you think okay cool i'm going to jump a couple thousand miles into space and come back down you know mm. not space but you might as well be um mm. but yeah that, that, there's food for thought there i think to... there's always sorry no, no, go on, go on. i was going to say the one thing i was going to run that out with um is just the fact that i think if you look back historically there are a lot of superhero games mm. it's just it's easier to create your own ip your own characters to do that rather than take on board existing ones you know with things like infamous I was going to say uh, the Paragon system, not the Paragon system, the good and bad and evil system. Mm. It's really interesting, that one. And there, there was a like a real-time strategy game which involved superheroes, and I'd completely forgotten what it was called, and it was absolutely brilliant, and it'll bug me for the rest of the show. Anyway, carry on, John. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have any closing thoughts? Um, it could be a return to a particular subheading, or it could be um, what we've just been talking about in returns, regards to games. I mean, I had one on games, uh, actually off the back of um, Ollie's point that I thought was quite interesting. Uh, the whole thing about, you know, not playing Captain America because you might fuck up and it's not really like in the spirit of Captain America, stuff like that. I think it really touches on this idea of the thing that gaming as a medium brings to storytelling is putting the player in control of a character yeah. and so the player become the, the the character you play becomes a stand-in for yourself to a certain degree i think because of that 
it's absolutely prime for a, a different kind of more nuanced storytelling, like a freaking watchman of games, you know, where you deal with the cloudy gray area or you or the boys or something like that, where you tell a, a story that is not black and white because the players playing these superheroes don't see in the same black and white that the superhero narrative gives you in the mainstream, at least. Sure. Definitely. And I think with following on from that, because you're able to have those, you know, non-black and white stories in games, this has led you to, for um, studios to be more free to tell their movies and their their TV programs uh, in slightly less uh, 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 cutthroat ways or black and white, like good people are good, bad people are bad and so forth. Because you're seeing that with not necessarily superheroes, but, you know, I look at Jedis as my, my heroes, my superheroes. They're space wizards fine whatever but in the end they are now being deconstructed to a point where we're looking at them going well weren't they more like a a, a, a hired mercenary force uh, oppressing and blowing up millions of people on the death star uh, and things like that and you're starting to <laughs> and you're, you're starting to find that in the games they are playing that out much more when you're taking it from like dark forces point of view which came out years and years and years ago and, and other games like that or star killer who was in the Force Unleashed games as well. Yeah. You, you understand much more about, you know, what uh, Darth Vader was doing between episodes five and five and six and so forth. So, yeah, I, I just love that all of this is coming together now uh, and you have opportunities to do a lot more. Sure. Um, sure. I just want to end with, um, this is Bernie Sanders. I'm John Lennon <laughs> on the cover of Rolling Stone. <laughs> <laughs> And for and for Wonder Woman, I want to see Wonder Woman three versus the Space Nazis. That's my always <laughs> in space. Wonder Woman three versus Space Nazis with Baby Yoda. <laughs> um, my closing thoughts would be that even if you do have a really um, charismatic creator um, regarding films, and they come across you and they have this really good idea to create something like, say, Watchmen they may be able to convince the executive producers to give them the money, but I don't know if that person should have that power if they don't understand the source material. Um, I've talked about this before, but Zack Snyder thinks Rorschach is cool. <laughs> That's a problem. You know? Wait, wait, who's Rorschach? John, who's Rorschach? Rorschach is um, a character in Watchmen who is, he's got extreme far-right tendencies. He doesn't okay. quite realize um, himself being a psychopath it could be a problem for the community at large. He's very black and white and he has a mask over his face, which is very much akin to the Rorschach test. The problem is that Zack Snyder doesn't realize that 14 year old Zack Snyder may have thought he was cool, just like 14 year old John Clay, but making a movie being of a certain age means you have to understand what Alan Moore is trying to do. Um, someone who splits a dog's head in half and thinks, yeah, now I know what I should be doing. And this, you know, <laughs> isn't someone you should be filming in slow motion looking cool. And if you do so, then you have to make sure that the audience is aware of that being um, a meta contextual um, device. Um, but that's my closing thought, which is really far into the geek sphere. Anyone else? <laughs> I just want to ask um, a really quick question. Sorry. Uh, what do people think of the Schneider Cup? coming out in a couple of months and the fact that this has come about because of fan pressure uh i'm gonna ask who is what is snyder cup what's this oh snyder cut the justice league the new justice league movie 
So, um, the, so the long story short, ju- um, Zack Snyder is a director. He was booked to make the Justice League movie. He bailed out halfway through because of personal issues. And uh, another guy, Joss Whedon, took it on. Mm-hmm. Um, another it guy. I know that guy. <laughs> yeah, Buffy. 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 Guy. Yeah, yeah um, it was a disaster because it was up by committee, and all the fans figured if ja- if Zack Snyder got back in on it, it might be good. And after enough fan pressure, they decided, yeah, let's make this whole movie again. Let's cut new bits and let's change the plot, and then see if we can make it a decent film and release it only on streaming. So it's a bit of an anomaly, I think. To be honest, to be honest with you, I think it's good. What's the worst that can happen? You know what I mean? Like I, I thought I like Josh Whedon would be Superman. I'll go back for that. See, like <laughs> I, I thought Josh Whedon would be doing. I don't know. I always thought Joss Whedon was a very good writer. So what? I don't understand why did they just feel uh, like, well, He didn't write that. it. I think that was the problem. Uh, he came he in very late on. <laughs> he came in to fix it, but he's good and at he fixing. Did. He didn't fix it. It's, oh, okay. it's the fucking mess. That's my story. <laughs> but like, essentially, if you have a film and, you know, Zack Snyder had very good reasons why he couldn't carry on, like his mm. daughter died, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if oh. Joss Whedon comes in and he delivers what he delivered as messy as that was it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be but it's definitely something that we move on from and ultimately this is it like if you're going to spend that much money on a film I need to know that instead of it going to some kind of aid or some kind of research that benefits the planet then it goes somewhere else because I know stories are important I wouldn't be a director otherwise but I can't see the beneficial aspect of Zack Snyder's Snyder Cut, apart from it being pure and utter narcissism. So that's how I feel. So so let me get this straight. Josh Whedon, it's been released with Josh Whedon's uh, edit on it. Mm-hmm. And they want to yeah. do another version of it with, with Snyder cutting it or refilming it so entirely. Zack Snyder had already shot around 90% of the movie already. And then his his daughter died. So they brought in Whedon to finish it and he lightened the tone and he took out more slow-mo and things like that and essentially finished it for the theatrical release. Um, A lot of people were like, this doesn't seem like Zack Snyder. So over the last four years or however long, they've been pushing and pushing and pushing to say, release a Snyder Cut, release a Snyder Cut. Uh, WB relented and essentially now... On in, in a couple of months, we're going to get a four-hour director's cut. And it's the original director's cut as well. Well, I think it's kind of interesting. I like to, you know, maybe two different things, two different versions. I'm... And so that it's me like being invited pressure. to the mortuary to check out a corpse. That's what it feels like to me. But hey, <laughs> I'd have to, I, I think I, I can't judge it until I see it. I don't yeah. want to have to judge it beforehand, knowing <laughs> how I am sensibility-wise, but I don't necessarily think that spending this much money on what they're actually outlying it to be is a good use of adventure or investigation. So the, the general concept for me is enough for it to really push me into what I normally don't do, is to judge something before I've seen it. I yeah. wish they could have given the money to some other um, project. It just didn't need to happen. I mean, in, in my view, uh, it's the, the problem really comes down to how you find this line between the auteur and the financier, right? Because on one side of it, you know, I would argue quite a lot of the time the director's cap cuts don't actually bring a whole lot to a film and in some cases actually damage the original, like, 
the original piece in, in, in some ways, but then on the other side of the, the whole thing, and the, the thing that we see a lot more popular now is that the studio has like an iron fist, doesn't understand the vision, they just want the paycheck. And so you need to find this line where you're allowing the original director to execute on their vision, but also not giving them uh, George Lucas uh, free reign levels of like just whatever's in your head, just put it out there. Because... <laughs> yeah, don't do that, man. We'll get Jar Jar Winks or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, you're so right. And you know what it really says? It says that there's if there's going to be a big difference between um, how Warner Brothers does things and how Marvel under Disney does things, they are now in a position where fans of a comic book entity can actually get something done in a really negative way because they want it all. Mm -hmm. And we know from what he's saying, they've shot new scenes and they're getting other stuff together, but it's not necessarily going to be something that looks like it's finished in certain areas, right? Certain parts of it <laughs> is gonna look pretty much like this is the concept. And that's gonna be your, your going in um, uh, mindset. That's, that's not an experience where you can totally lose yourself in the plot. You're gonna be trying to look for stuff which doesn't look right. That mm. isn't an, a true experience, you know? Whereas this would never have happened if Kevin Feige was told, hey, we really, really liked um, what you brought out, but we want you to bring it out again the way we want it. They would never have let that come to light because they got control, you know? They, they have much more awareness of quality control and what it does for your long-term viewership. Mm. I, I'm I just going to say, sorry. Could the Sorry, I was going to say, could, could the pointing out of weird things that aren't supposed to be there be any weirder than Henry Cavill's not mustache? Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, that's so true. Well, as far as I'm concerned, that they, they're going to have to do something about that thing because it's only going to become a meme in pop culture again. I mean, I don't know what else they could do to it to make it look more realistic because i mean how do you get rid of a mustache and a moving face they're gonna they're gonna remove that scene because that scene was added in afterwards well how many other scenes is he in he's he can't superman no so it was because they brought him back for reshoots when whedon came back in that he had the mustache for mission impossible six and so they had to do the editing. So what they'll do now is they'll just remove that scene and those particular scenes and go with the original scenes now and, and, and just put them back into the movie. I'm confused. You're saying they're going to have other scenes where Henry Cavill didn't have a moustache? He always yeah. had one for the shoots. No, he, he didn't have one when he originally filmed the movie. A lot of that was left on the cutting room floor when Whedon came in. Oh, God. I don't know if I want to know much about this cadaver. I'm sorry. You're a good person, Simon. I feel like I'm wasting your time. Let's now basically end this whole thing. Do you guys feel satiated of our conversation? I do, yep. Excellent. Let people know what it is you're doing. Ola, what are you up to when you're not talking to me? Well, I have a radio show because mainstream radio sucks and good music has no boundaries that's why i have it and you can check it out on mixcloud or school kitchen fantastic ollie what are you doing when you're not talking to myself and ola when i'm not unwelcomely bringing up henry cavill's mustache <laughs> <laughs> i'm a music producer and when it's not the apocalypse i'm also a musician but at the moment 
you can find me working for a band called Dorja, a band called Barbarella's Bang Bang. Yay! And I think lately, uh, Taxi Joe, who you should check out, they are very, very cool. Fan-fucking-tastic. Simon Mitchell, when you're not talking to me, Ollie, and Ola, what the hell are you doing? Uh, I am currently down by the Hastings coast, uh, really enjoying the beach at the moment, um, <laughs> and currently helping my friend get his uh, first short movie out. So Ooh. that's what we're looking to do. Very intriguing. Yeah, nice. What's the movie about? Are you allowed to say? Uh, I sent it to you. <laughs> yeah. I'm a yeah, fucker. No. When did you say yeah. it? To- <laughs> <laughs> no, I sent you the trailer. Um, it's, it's just a short documentary, but we're trying to do some other bits and pieces. But once we know more, I will do it. I will Mate, don't it. let me off the hook. When did you send it to me? Uh, let's say 2020, but I know. Oh, God, that's going on there. embarrassing. All right, <laughs> let me just basically introduce Matt again, and then I'm going to just run away and check out this trailer. <laughs> what are you doing when you're not basically talking to me, Simon, Ollie, and Ola? Yeah, I'm Matt Gaffin. Uh, when I'm not doing this, I am in a loud, shouty punk band, um, which obviously isn't playing due to COVID, but we're getting ready to release our next single at the moment, uh, just kind of getting everything together. Okay, fantastic. People of the Rantbox TV universe, thank you for joining us. Um, we will return to this topic and cover such things as literary fiction, radio plays, theatre, musicals and internet-based web plays. So that's going to be quite meaty. Um, I hope to see you there. A new episode of Rantbox TV is uploaded weekly on Fridays by 12.30pm noon when I finally out of bed uh, do hit like and subscribe for more or and follow us on facebook instagram twitter um, next week's episode will be with nishant joshi who is the basis of the palpitations he's an nhs worker who alongside his wife was one of the very first to alert the press to the government's questionable attitude to ppe for his staff in hospitals and across the nation um, subsequent legal measures were put into action, let alone numerous media interests from Channel 4, Vogue magazine, and earlier videos from myself, John Clay. So thank you for subscribing and see you next Friday. Goodbye. <laughs>